Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. How easy is it for you to ask for help? How easy is it for you to accept help when offered? If you've been sick or in the hospital, and the church office here at MCC called and asked, hey, can we send somebody over to help out? We can bring some meals. We can clean up around the house, straighten up a little bit, just so you don't have to worry about it. Would you willingly accept that? Or would you, like some people I know, get up out of bed and straighten the house before anybody came to clean the house? You know who you are. What if that time came... There was a knock at the door, and somebody answered it, opened the door, and Claudia and I were to walk in. We showed up right after church, still had on our dress clothes, and carrying a pail with toilet cleaning supplies. What would you say? How would you react? Now, some of you would probably say, I need the windows done too, but still we understand how uncomfortable that makes us about somebody else doing what we don't even like to do for us. I wanted to share that image with you because I thought maybe it would help you understand a little bit more what it was like for Jesus' followers in John 13. You see, they had gathered together to celebrate the Passover meal. It was one of the Jews' most important events of the whole religious year. In verse 4 and 5, it says that while they were eating, Jesus stood up and took off his robe. He got a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and then he poured water in the bowl and began to wash the followers' feet. He did it all the way around the table, finally coming to Peter. And in verse 8, it says that Peter's response was, No, you'll never wash my feet. Sounds like some of those people that we talked about before that just struggle with the idea of somebody doing something for them. I guess maybe it's helpful to remember the context for this. Why did he have to make it that awkward for everyone? One of my former teachers named Jim McGuigan wrote a book called The God of the Towel, talking about this particular scene in John 13. In verse 1, I think it sets that table, if you will, to understand the context better. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. But then when you drop down further, past all the foot washing and all that, and get to verse 15 and 16, notice it says there, Jesus' response, I did this as an example for you, so that you should serve each other just as I served you. Those who are sent to do something are not greater than the one who sent them. You see, it was a reality check for them, and also for us as well. You see, just like Jesus, our time will come to leave this world. He was aware of that timing. We're kind of oblivious to it. And when our time comes to leave this world, just like Jesus, we'll go back to our Father as well. 
and will stand in his presence with that sense of accountability for what we've done while we were in this world. There's more to following Jesus than just calling him teacher and Lord, as it says in verse 13. He acknowledged, I am your teacher, I am your Lord, but he says, if I being teacher and Lord have been willing to do this for you, maybe there's a lesson to learn in that too. There's more than just talk when it comes to following Jesus. Because like Jesus, we've been sent into this world with expectations and we'll leave this world with accountability. And like Jesus, we're expected to serve each other. We're not exempt. We're not privileged. We're not superior. For we are not greater than the one who sent us, he says. Those who follow Jesus' example of being a servant have probably learned this fact of life as explained by Jesus as well as Dr. Phil. It's not all about you. Now that comes as a shock to some of us, especially by the way that we live our life or by the way that we treat others. When we constantly expect them to change their life to meet my life and my requirements of comfort. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. We cannot assume that somebody else is going to do that for us. We can't live our life as though everyone else exists to make our life easier. That's about as opposite of Christ-likeness as you can possibly get. You see, Jesus had to come to show us how. You can't just tell people how to act. You have to show them. Despite the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that forbid the segregation of people by race, racial tension remained an issue for years. Race riots were normal. Martin Luther King was assassinated four years later in 1968 as evidence of that racial tension. One year later, in 1969, a guy by the name of Fred Rogers, yes, you know him as Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood, he decided to lead by example and show people what legislation had not been able to teach them. In that time and in that era, swimming pools were still for whites only as were water fountains and bathrooms as well. Oh, sure, legally they weren't required to say that or post that, but by practice, that's exactly the way it went. So in his May 9th episode of 1969, Mr. Rogers asked Officer Clemens, a black police officer on his show, to join him in his backyard and have a seat, take off his shoes and socks, and cool his feet in the wading pool. And he said, oh, well, I don't have a towel. Mr. Rogers says, oh, you can use mine. That sounds so bland now, right? 
But in 1969, that was huge. When they recreated the scene for Clemens' last episode before his retirement, Mr. Rogers did more than just hand him the towel. He actually dried Mr. Clemens' feet with his towel. Clemens would later make the observation, I'm a black gay man, and Fred washed my feet just like Jesus. That made a huge impact in his life. And it made a very controversial statement by example to all of those who saw it. You see, just like Jesus, Fred Rogers understood that the best way to teach someone is to actually show them how. I guess you could say it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood. When we learn how Jesus lived, that's when the neighborhood gets a little more beautiful for us as well. Because that's when we actually look like Jesus in how we live and in how we love. That means we lead by example, regardless of how others look at us or talk about us. Regardless of how they threaten us, we still choose to do the right thing and to show others what the right thing looks like. It's because we've seen Jesus do the same thing. That means we treat others with the same respect that we want to be given. That means we do the right thing regardless of how awkward it may feel or regardless of how awkward it may make others feel. If it's the right thing to do, then we're going to do the right thing. That's what Jesus did. And of course... That happens when we have learned to look at Jesus' life the way, that he, the way that he depended on his Father in heaven, the way that he followed the will of his Father, and the way that he showed others the way back to the Father. Listen to how God intends to bless our lives in Christ. It's from a familiar passage in Philippians 2, verse 1, in the easy-to-read version. Think about what we have in Christ, the encouragement that He's brought us, the comfort of His love, our sharing in His Spirit, and the mercy and kindness that He's shown us. Now listen to how he goes on to say that God intends to bless others through the body of Christ, that is, the church, in verses 2, 3, and 4. If you've enjoyed these blessings, blessings like encouragement and comfort and a unity of spirit and mercy and kindness, if you enjoy these blessings, then do what will make my joy complete. And now here's how you see the body of Christ, the church, serve. Agree with each other. Show your love for each other. Be united in your goals and in the way that you think. In whatever you do, don't let selfishness and pride be your guide. But be humble and honor others more than yourselves. Don't be interested only in your own life, but care about the lives of others too. And then finally, in verses 5, 6, and 7, 
you'll see how God says that can happen because those things don't come naturally to us. What does come naturally to us is that selfish childishness that demands our own way, that ignores what others are doing, ignores the needs of others, and instead is focused completely on what I want to make my life more like I want my life to be. I could care less about you. And yet he tells us this is how God makes that happen within us. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. That's why he wants us to think and act like Christ, because when we do so, we think and act like God. He did not think that being equal with God was something to be grasped or held on to. Or another translation reads, it was not something just to be used for his own benefit. Kind of like that Monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card. Only here, it would be the, oh, I'd love to do something for you that would help you, but here, I've got this instead. He gave up his place with God. That's the key thought. He gave up his place. And he made himself nothing. He was born as a man, and here's his conclusion of how God makes that happen, and became like a servant. You see, when it comes to relationships, God wants us to be like him. And at his heart, he's a servant. People who expect to be served are generally some of the most miserable people that you'll encounter. Think about it in your own life. When you have expectations of others and what they're going to do for you and then they don't do that, it makes you miserable as well, doesn't it? And in turn, you usually will make their life pretty miserable as well. Hoping, of course, that they'll see the error of their ways, and the next time they'll comply and do what you want done in your life. So not only do you make yourself miserable, but you make everybody miserable who's in the relationship with anyone just like a child who expects and even demands to have their way, regardless of the effect on others. People who have a happy-to-help attitude, on the other hand, are generally seen to be grateful for the opportunity. No matter what the day brings, they're just glad they could help. They consider themselves fortunate. They see themselves as blessed, and so are those who have a relationship with them. Do you see the irony of Satan's deception to Eve in the garden? Because what he persuaded her of was that the best way to be like God was to ignore God's will for your life and to take what you want, to take what looked good to you, to take what made sense to you for yourself. How ironic, huh? Having what I want, regardless of what God says, didn't make her more like God. It just made her 
more miserable and alienated her from God. The same principle works true not only for Adam and not only for Eve, not only for Cain, but also for all of those throughout the timeline of history who've had that same mentality, that same approach. I want what I want, and I don't care what God says. This makes me happy. This makes sense to me. So this is what I'm going to do. And in the meantime, they end up alienating themselves from God and each other, and they're miserable. When we think like the servant Jesus who lives within us, we begin to act just as though Jesus were in us. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says the evidence of the Spirit's presence is given to each person for the common good. The common good. Others will be blessed because of the presence of God's Spirit that's given to each one of us. It's not just for me to enjoy. It's not just for me to be strengthened and encouraged by. It's for me to be changed by so that I might actually begin to serve others. And yet somehow we miss that God intends for the church to be where God shows up in people. Somehow it's easier for us to believe that a person can be controlled by their inner demons, but not controlled by an inner God. We look at somebody and we just write it off. Well, they're evil. And yet miss the idea that in God's mind, His intention was to dwell within us and be the controlling factor in our life as Christians. It's the presence of His Spirit within that's given for the common good. If God expects the church to be a reflection of Him, then why would I settle for believing that I can't change? It's kind of like, once childish, always childish. Once self-centered, always self-centered. Leopard can't change his spots, we'll say. And yet, because of the presence of God within us, it's that same God who can do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine by the power, His power, at work within us. Hmm. At least that's the promise made for those who will allow Him to lead their life. God expects the church to be where people use their gifts to serve each other. Remember that common good phrase? Those gifts were there because of the presence of God Himself in spirit form that would bring about change in heart, change in attitude, change in mentality, change in priorities, where we now actually pay attention to the people around us instead of only looking for how somebody else can make our life easier. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, you have each received a gift to use to serve others. So be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. According to Paul, a church grows to maturity when each part of the body is working in Ephesians 4, verse 16. And so it comes back to this. God has expectations of the church. 
And that expectation primarily is that those who comprise the church, those of us who are members of the body of Christ, we would allow the Spirit of God to live within us. We would allow the Spirit of Jesus to serve through us. But that means a change in attitude. That means a change in mentality. Maybe it's best illustrated by what happened one summer at camp. It was time for the evening campfire. And as typical, a roaring fire in the middle. Most of the time it was too hot for any of us to get nearby since it was summer. But nevertheless, it was a time for memories. And so we'd sing a number of different songs by heart. And so one of the favorites that year was Make Me a Servant. And the kids were singing along in the middle of the song. It struck me what that phrase was actually saying. See if you hear it. Make me a servant. Make me like you. For you are a servant. Make me one too. Make me a servant. Do what you must do to make me a servant, a servant like you. When I heard that phrase, do what you must do, I stood up and stopped the singing and asked the campers, did you hear what you just said? What if God heard you and thought you were serious about giving him permission to do whatever it took in your life to make you a servant? It's probably something we shouldn't sing to God unless we're ready to follow through with that. Giving God permission. Do what you must do to make me a servant, a servant like you. What would he have to do in you for you to become a servant like him? We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.